If you would, would you go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at a story that might be very familiar to a lot of us. The story of the woman who came to the feet of Christ, who poured out her love and her devotion on Christ, who had her sin and her shame covered by Christ. But but my prayer for us today is that this would be more than a, a familiar story to us. But this story would, would be one which we'd see ourselves. We'd see ourselves coming with all our sin, coming with all our shame, laying ourselves at the feet of Jesus to find the grace and the forgiveness and the hope that only Jesus can give. So let's read these words together. This is from Luke chapter 7. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, by the power of of this true and holy word, Lord, that you would bring us to the feet of Jesus. 
Lord, the only hope for people who are full of sin, the only hope for those who are bearing shame in here today, the heavy shame of how they see themselves and how the world sees them, and Lord, how they think that you see them. So Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit that that everyone in this room this morning would hear a better sermon than the one that they're going to hear from my lips. Lord, that they would see a Savior. They would feel, they would sense a Savior closer to them in this moment than anybody else in this room as a Savior who comes to them in their brokenness, comes to them in their sin and in their shame, and who showers them with grace and forgiveness. Lord, would you do that for your glory and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been somewhere where, where you felt out of place? You know, the, the place where you know, you know what, I just don't belong here right now. Have you, have you ever been in a place like that? Maybe, maybe you've been to a wedding where, where you don't feel, you, you feel like you're too underdressed to be there in the room. Maybe it's a sports team that you were on when you were little, and you like you look at yourself and your broke jump shot, and you know I don't feel like I'm talented enough to be on this team right now. I don't feel like I belong. That was me. I was all state uh, practice performer. Um, Maybe it's a fancy restaurant, a fancy restaurant where you feel out of place, where you, you look around at the tablecloths and you say, you know what, I, I don't have the money to be here right now. Maybe it's a family reunion where you now feel like an outcast. I don't belong here anymore. You know, sadly, sometimes people feel this way even at, at church. Maybe you felt that way before. You know, I, I don't have enough righteousness to be in this room right now. You don't quite have your life together like everyone else around you. You don't feel like you belong. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, Preacher, if I showed up at the church house, the, the ceiling's going to cave in. I'm sorry. There's so many feelings that that flood our hearts when we think about ourselves. Maybe you feel rejected. Maybe the way you, you feel this morning is you feel worthless. Maybe you feel exposed. Maybe you feel like you're out of place, like you're the outcast in the room. Maybe you see yourself and you'll say, I'm not enough, I'll, I'll never be enough. And and what this feeling is called is it, it has a word. It's called shame. Have you ever felt a heaviness, a, a burden? Have you ever felt this sense of shame? Let me ask it this way How do you see yourself today? Shame can take on different forms at different times. But listen, every single one of us in here, Every single one of us in here feels shame in some form, in some way. Maybe you, you think, no, not me. I don't, I've never felt shame before. You, 
you have experienced it. Maybe you haven't recognized it, but we have all felt shame. The kid on the kickball field at recess, the kid who is picked last or, or not at all, in that moment knows what it, it's like to feel rejected. The daughter who feels like they could never measure up, never be good enough to earn the praise of her parents. She feels worthless. Maybe the addict can feel like an outcast. Maybe the single mom can feel less than. The, the party girl might feel dirty. They, we all can have this sense of not being enough. But if there was ever a person that ever felt out of place, who felt like she didn't belong in the room, if, if there was ever a person who felt dirty, who felt exposed, who looked at their life and felt worthless, it would have been this woman in Luke chapter 7. It would have been this woman who came in and who interrupted Simon the Pharisee's dinner party. And what I want us to see this morning is, is maybe she felt like this. Maybe she felt this way walking in the room that night. But by the grace of God, she left feeling different. And by the grace of God, you can leave feeling different this morning. By the grace of God, her story can be your story this morning, no matter if you feel worthless or you feel rejected or you feel like you're not enough, you feel naked, you feel exposed, you feel rejected, you could leave here this morning, no matter the shame you're carrying, finding all you need at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of this passage. The, the good news, the big idea from this passage is this. Where great sin and shame meets great grace and forgiveness, we find great love and devotion. Where great sin and shame meet great grace and forgiveness, we find great love and devotion. That's good news for all of us this morning. So the first thing I want us to see is what happens when we begin with great sin and shame. Our, our story begins with Jesus attending a dinner party. He's been invited to Simon's house, the home of Simon. And Simon was a Pharisee, which, which makes him an expert in all things law. Makes him a, a religious leader who's an expert in knowing the law better than anybody else and in keeping the law better than everybody else. He, he would be someone who, if you look from the outside, you would say, he has it all together. He has it all together. And he would be something who would look down on those who didn't have it all together. So it was a, a startling contrast that evening when the scandalous woman walked into the room. In fact, Luke says in verse 37, look at God's word with me. He says, and behold, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. It, he, she went there. Look, it's like Luke is saying, behold, look at it. Look at her. This is scandalous. 
this woman, look at this woman. She is coming in to Simon's house. What is she thinking? That's what he's saying. Let's just say she didn't sneak into the room unnoticed that night. You can picture yourself being her. All eyes would be on her. Luke describes her accurately. He says she was a woman of the city who was a sinner. A woman of the city meant that she was a notorious woman. She had a reputation of of being a lady of the streets. She she was a, a great Sinner, and everybody in town knew it. So, so she surely did not belong there at the Pharisee's house. See, she was guilty of great sin, and she was a great sinner. See, sin describes what she had done, but sinner describes who she was. That was her identity. See, sin describes what you do, But sinner is your identity. It's it's how you see yourself. And that really gets at the heart of shame. Shame strikes at the heart of your identity. It's what you start seeing and what you start believing about yourself. It runs deeper than your guilt. It lasts longer than your guilt. It changes who you think you are. how you see yourself, and how you believe that everybody else sees you. Let me show you how shame gets to the heart. Different than guilt. How how shame strikes at the heart of your identity. See, you experience guilt when you wreck your, your dad's car, right? But shame says you're always a screw up. And you're always going to be a screw up. Guilt is when you do something to get fired from your job, but shame says you're an idiot. That's what you tell your heart. Guilt is when you and your boyfriend, you and your fiance, cross a physical boundary you thought you'd never cross. And shame says you're dirty, and you'll you'll always be dirty. Guilt comes when you yell at your kids again. But shame says you're not enough and you never will be enough. Think about Genesis 1. Guilt is when you eat the fruit that that God says you should have never eaten. But shame says I'm, I'm exposed. And I'm undone. I'm naked. I have to cover myself. I remember one time when I was working at Social Security office, I, I came in one morning and my coworker who was sitting right beside me, I said, well, I've had the most terrible morning I could imagine. I, I overslept and I missed a Bible study that I was supposed to have with this college guy at my church at Panera. And she said, well, I can do you one better than that. You also missed the presentation you were supposed to give at 8 a.m., Oh my goodness. See, guilt in that moment, guilt said, you should have remembered that presentation. What were you thinking? But shame stuck in my heart and said, you're a failure. 
And everybody in this office knows that you're a failure. See the difference? Do you see how shame hits the heart? Shame shapes your identity. Guilt can bother you for the moment. Guilt might ruin your day, but shame gets stuck in your heart. This woman knew exactly who she was. She knew exactly how people saw her in the city. She knew exactly how she saw herself. I'm sure she felt dirty and worthless and rejected. She, she felt exposed and could not hide. She heard the whispers, look who's, look who's coming in. It's the sinner. We saw her down on Main Street last night. She's a sinner. Ed Welch says, shame is public in nature. Guilt can be hidden. Shame feels like it's always exposed. So a great question to ask yourself this morning is, what are you trying to hide? That really gets at the heart of shame. What are you trying to hide? It's a, it's a painful one to ask our, our hearts, but it's a, a helpful one. What is it that you wish was hidden, but you believe that everybody else sees? See, there's no, there's no question that this woman knew she was a great sinner. As, and as we read our passage, there's no question that Simon the Pharisee knew that she was a great sinner. Because soon as she starts pouring out her tears upon Jesus' feet and pours out kisses upon his feet and pours out this precious and costly oil, this perfume on her feet, pours out all her love and her devotion on Jesus' feet, well, the, the Pharisee is all hot and bothered, isn't he? He's all startled by the scene that's unfolding in his, at his kitchen table. Jesus can't be a great prophet. Jesus can't be a holy man. He, he can't be anybody great. He's not the king. If he was a prophet, he wouldn't let this sinner touch him. See, Simon, Simon had his life all together while her life was falling apart. Simon thought he was righteous in his own eyes, but she knew that she was a great sinner. Listen, church, Self-righteousness is a greater obstacle to Jesus than sin is. Because when you see your sin, you desperately need a Savior. But when you think you're righteous, you don't think you need him. And so Jesus moves compassionately towards the great sinner that's in the room while the self-righteous already thinks he's enough, thinks he has no need for Jesus. We might sit here and think Simon's thoughts are, are foolish at first, right? We might think Simon's foolish to think these things, but, but don't, don't we all think similar thoughts too? If Jesus really knew who I was, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. If Jesus really knew how dirty I was, he would not let me touch him. He wouldn't let me get near him, and he sure wouldn't touch me. If Jesus knew my thoughts and he knew my past, he knew what I had done, he wouldn't let me get near him. He wouldn't be, let me be in the same room as him. But brothers and sisters, Jesus knows 
exactly what you've done and exactly who you are. Jesus knows every single sin. He knows the heaviness of the shame that you're carrying in here today. You cannot hide from Jesus. You are exposed before King Jesus. But the good news is, is that Jesus is not startled one second when you walked in the room. And he wasn't frustrated when he felt you touch his feet. And he isn't bothered at all by you bringing all your sin and shame to him. No, you have come to the right place. If you are a great sinner, if you are heavy with shame today, no matter what it is, if you come to Jesus, you've come to the right place. Because the second thing I want us to see is that when great sin and shame comes to Jesus, it meets great grace and forgiveness. For the person, though, who sees their sin clearly, for, for the one who feels their shame deeply, you would think the last place that they would go is to holy King Jesus, right? I mean, the text says when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, you think that she would say, that it would say, she ran the other way. Like she went the other way. She avoided Simon's house that night at all costs. Because that's what we typically do, right? I mean, that's what we typically do when we see our sin clearly, when we feel our shame deeply. This is often the case for the sinner who's never trusted in Jesus or if you've been a Christian for 30 years. We head the opposite way of Jesus until we get ourselves ready to come to Jesus. If we feel dirty, we try to go clean ourselves up to make ourselves presentable. If we feel rejected, we try to build up our religious resume to, to make ourselves acceptable to Jesus. If we feel exposed, we try to go cover ourselves up with our own goodness to make ourselves more attractive to Jesus. When, when we feel weighed down, we might try to speak optimistically and coach ourselves up to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But this is a telltale sign of how you're trusting in the gospel. When, when you see your sin clearly, when you feel your shame deeply, is the first thing you do to run to Jesus or run away from Jesus. That'll tell you how you trust the gospel. Do you first run to Jesus as fast as you can, or do you run away from Jesus? Listen, brothers and sisters, the last thing that you want to do is the first thing you need to do every single time. The gospel is an open invitation to always come to Jesus first. Isn't that good news? The gospel is always the invitation to come to Jesus first, no matter how heavy your shame is, no matter how great your sin is. The gospel is an open invitation from Jesus himself for the rest of your life. With any sin that I've sinned, any time, no matter what I've done, I can come to the feet of Jesus. I can come to Christ. This sinner 
who many times probably felt like hiding in the darkness, she runs to the light. This lady of the street who feels like she's dirty and unclean, she comes to the righteous king where she belongs. When she comes to Jesus, do you notice what she finds? She doesn't find more condemnation. Condemnation like she heaps on herself. She, she doesn't find more shame that maybe like even the world's given her. No, when she comes to Jesus, she is showered by the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And she will be again and again and again. Listen, friend, Jesus is not scared of your greatest sin and your greatest shame. Because Jesus took care of it on the cross. Jesus bore it all on the cross. 2 Corinthians says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin, to, to become the sinner, to, to bear the shame, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he was exposed and he was naked on the cross, not for his own sins, but for your sins. Jesus, when he was rejected and despised at the cross, it was not for his own sins. It was for your sins. Jesus was treated as though he was unclean, as he was dirty, as he was unrighteous, not because he was unclean. But because you were, when he hung in your place. So the invitation is for the first time or the thousandth time to come to the friend of sinners. And what happens when you come to the friend of sinners? When you come to him with all your sin and with all your shame? Well, when we come to Jesus feeling exposed and naked, we're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus forever. When we come to Jesus feeling rejected and despised, we're accepted and welcomed forever. When we come to Jesus feeling dirty and unclean, we are cleansed and we are forgiven forever. See, when she comes to Jesus, the holy and righteous king, what we think could never happen before a holy and righteous king is what happens. She, she was not rejected and despised like the Pharisee thinks she should be. She's not rejected and despised like, like we expect we would be when we come to Jesus. And she's not given a to-do list. Here's what you must do to go clean yourself up. Once you clean yourself up, then you can come back and return to me. No, because the Holy King Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. This is the invitation for every sinner here today. That means all of us here today. This is the invitation for every single one of us. Whether you've come to Jesus, whether you've never come to Jesus, or you've been a Christian for years, bring all your sin and bring all your shame to the feet of Jesus and meet his mercy 
his grace and his forgiveness. Notice something with me. Jesus doesn't just say something about her. Up to this point from verses 36 to 47, that's all that Jesus has done. Jesus has said a lot about her, right? But look at verse 48. He turns and he declares something to her. Full of compassion, full of love, he looks into her eyes and says, Your sins are forgiven. And that's good news for every single one of us in the, here this morning because forgiveness is not some, not some impersonal theological truth. Forgiveness is a personal declaration from the heart of Jesus to the greatest sinner. It's, just, it's Jesus with a heart of compassion looking at you in your sin and your same shame and saying, your sins are forgiven. That's what we find. That's what sin and shame finds when it comes to Jesus. It's met with grace and forgiveness. And finally, we see that when sin, when great sin and shame meets great grace and forgiveness, we find great love and devotion. For, the, for Simon the Pharisee, he, he can't believe what's happening. I mean, if you think about him who is self-righteous, him who has like all the gold stars in Sunday school since he was little at the synagogue, I mean, him who has his act together. He can't believe his mind what he's witnessing. The, the God he served, he only rewards the righteous. Not sinners like her. He, he wouldn't look at a sinner like her. He wouldn't touch a sinner like her. He definitely wouldn't befriend a sinner like her. So what's going on? Why is Jesus filled with so much grace? Why is she filled with so much love? Well, Jesus helps him see. And I think he helps our heart to see as well this morning. He tells a story. A story about two men who owed a moneylender a lot of money. One man, he says, one man owned 500 denarii, about 20 months worth of work, almost two years' salary. And then there's this other man who, owns, who owes him 50 denarii. It's about two months' worth of salary. It's like one owes the whole note on a mortgage, the other owes some on a car. And it says, he says in the story, the, the money lender cancels the debt of both. And Jesus asks, which one of these men would love more? If we're following the story, the story's crystal clear. The, the money lender is the Lord. And both the Pharisee and the prostitute are the ones who owe a debt. In, in this story, the prostitute with the, the greater debt, the Pharisee with the lesser debt, a greater debt, a larger debt than either one of them could pay back, a debt of sin. Yet the Lord, by his grace, he cancels them both. And so the answer to the Pharisee and to all of us is really clear. Who would love more in that moment? Well, the one who was forgiven more. 
the great sinner, the woman of the street, she would love more. So Jesus, in verse 44, turns to the woman, not looking in disgust, but looking with her, to her in delight. And she says this, Simon, you gave me no water for my feet, which, which was custom in that day when someone came in that their feet would be washed. But she, she's been wiping my feet with her tears, pouring out tears upon my feet and wiping them with her hair. Simon, you, you gave me no kiss, which was just common. It's a, a customary greeting in that day. And, and yet she has not ceased to kiss my feet, pouring out her love upon me since I came in. Simon, you didn't anoint my hair, head with oil. The, the word oil there in the Greek is like olive oil. It's just this cheap oil that was lying around the house. But she has anointed my feet with perfume with a costly ointment. Listen to Jesus' words. Listen to Jesus' heart. He says this, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, which are massive, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Most scholars believe that, that, this, that Jesus has encountered this woman before. That she had experienced his grace and forgiveness already. That's why she comes to Jesus. That's why she runs to Jesus to pour out her love, to pour out her tears, to pour out kisses, to pour out the most costly thing that she had on Jesus because she loved that much. See, we don't, we don't pour our love and devotion in hopes of Jesus giving us grace and forgiveness. No, we pour out our love because Jesus has lavished his grace and forgiveness on us already. That's why we love much. Because we are all great sinners. We are all great sinners who have been loved much in Jesus. Sinners love so much, Jesus says, because they've been forgiven so much. The woman of the city had met the friend of sinner. And what happens is the only thing that happens when we're lavish with love and grace and forgiveness is that we pour out our love and devotion on him. It's like all the women in chapter 8. They've been graced by Jesus in this grace. Grace makes their heart generous where they give everything that they have for Jesus care for the disciples, to provide for them in their ministry. So let me close with a few questions for our hearts this morning. First question, do you love little like the Pharisee or do you love much like the prostitute? The truth is that your love can only be little if you see your sin as little. But listen, no sin is small before a holy God. Sin can't be little before a holy God because God's holiness 
is perfect. He, he's righteous in all his ways. We all, every single one of us in here today, have a sin debt that we could never pay. And it's only undeserving grace that cancels the greatest sin. So if you love little, it's not because you're more righteous than other people here in this room. It's because you're more blind than everybody else. It's not because you're more righteous, because you have it more together than other people. It's because you're more blind to your sin. We all have five trillion dollars of debt of sin before a holy God. And yet in Christ, we can be covered in grace and forgiveness. When that happens, we love much. It's what happens to a heart that's been forgiven much. We love much. Second, does your life display that you've been forgiven little? Or that you've been forgiven a massive debt? Does your life display that you've been forgiven a little amount of debt or a massive amount of debt? Like, like the way you serve, does it look like it's from a heart that's been forgiven much? Or does it look like a heart that's just been forgiven a little? The way you give, like, are you generous because you've been forgiven so much? Or does it look like you've been forgiven a little? The way you sing, do you sing from a heart that's been forgiven much? That my sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Or do you sing like you've been forgiven just a little? We have to be careful, though, because the answer isn't to, to leave here and say, I, then I guess i got to serve more. i, I got to give more. i got to muster up some more giving. When we sing in a minute, i got to sing louder. i got to try to sing more. It's, the answer is not trying harder and doing more. No, the answer is in the awe. The answer is in the awe of Jesus. The answer is to look away from yourself and to look at Jesus. To, to, yes, remember all your sin, to remember all your shame, but to remember all the grace and forgiveness that flowed to a sinner like you. And to look at Jesus and to behold Jesus and to treasure Jesus. And as you treasure Jesus, you'll give like never before. Serve like never before. Go like never before. Sing like never before. Because he has given so much. Last question I have for us, even have for us as a church. Will we as a church, will we be a safe place for the Pharisee? Or will we be a safe place for the prostitute at Christ Fellowship? Like, will we be a safe place for the self-righteous to stay smug? Or will we be a safe place for the sinner to be surprised by grace? Will we be a safe place for the self-righteous to come and act like they have it all together, to, to act like they're enough, to act like they're not needy and they're not broken and they're not desperate? Or will we be the place where we come together every single week, not as people that have it all together, 
People who have great sin and great shame. People whose lives are a complete mess, but we know where to come with this mess. We come to fall at the feet of Jesus. Because I'll tell you what Jesus desires. He wants this to be a place where sinners find a home at his feet. A place where the greatest sinner, the most notorious sinner, the most scandalous sinner you can think of right now can come and be welcomed and find a home at the feet of the friend of sinners. You know, the last thing that Jesus says to the woman is, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Literally what it means there is Keep going into peace. It has this continuous action to the verb. It's keep going into peace. Keep going into peace. Keep going into Jesus. Keep resting in Jesus. Keep collapsing on Jesus. Keep finding your enoughness, not in yourself, but in Jesus. Literally, keep going to the feet of Jesus. Keep going to the place where the one who is rejected can be accepted. Keep coming to the place where the one who feels naked can be covered in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Keep coming to the place where you who might feel dirty, you who feel exposed, you who feel like you're not enough, you who want to give up, you who are bearing great sin and great shame can be clean forever in Jesus. You can be welcomed forever in Jesus. Right now, in this moment, the Holy King Jesus can look at you and say, your sins are forgiven. If you'll cling to Jesus, if you'll trust in Jesus, if you'll find your home in Jesus. Because that is where a sinner saved by grace forever belongs. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all of us that we might come and find a warm welcome at the feet of Jesus. Because all too often, Lord, our, our world around us says that we're rejected and we're despised. That we're not enough. That we're worthless. Lord, even our, our own hearts tell us that so many times. We feel the burden of our sin. All that we have done. And we feel the burden of our shame. All that we think we are. And Lord... We know that in and of ourselves, we could never be enough. Can't make ourselves holy enough. We can't clean ourselves up en enough, Lord. We can't do enough to earn your love and acceptance. But Lord, I pray this morning that all of us, every single one of us, Lord, whether we've never come to Jesus before, or Lord, whether we would call ourselves a Christian for 30 years, Lord, that we would come 
and find a welcome at the feet of Jesus. We would find a covering for our sin in the perfect righteousness of Christ. That we would find acceptance, Lord. All the acceptance we need in the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would be clean. That we would be forever forgiven because of Jesus' perfect life. His perfect death. His perfect resurrection that defeated all our sin, that defeated all our shame, that defeated death forever. Lord, I think about the song that we sang earlier that said that those who are in Christ are now free to live and free to love. Free to live and free to love, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So Lord, I pray that that by your grace, by the power of your spirit, that you would draw us unto yourself and that you would never cast us out because of your grace and your love forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.